Would you open your Bibles up this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 23, and we'll be reading through chapter 3, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible from in front of you, and you can find our, our passage this morning on page 838. Let's continue to worship as God's people as we hear the words and hear it preached. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he'd entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath." Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to them, Stretch out your hands. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we... Do come humbly to you this morning. Every privilege we have today comes through the blood of your Son. We can worship because Jesus spilled his blood. We can pray because Jesus spilled his blood. We can rest in these gospel promises because Jesus spilled his blood. And so we come hoping today in this Jesus, the Son of Man. And Father, we come asking this morning, would you encourage our hearts with your word? Would you pull back the curtains this morning that we might see the glory and the majesty and the the beauty of Jesus Christ? Would you help us understand what it means for Jesus to be the Son of Man who is Lord even of the Sabbath? Would you teach us what it means to partake in this glorious Sabbath day? To find rest, true rest. And Father, we confess we are a needy people this morning. We ask, would you fill our needs now? Point us to your Son. 
We pray this in your son's name. Amen. There's a buzz in the Gospel of Mark, and swirling around Jesus in his ministry was this very issue of authority. Jesus entered the synagogues and taught. He traveled around the region of Galilee by the sea and in homes, proclaiming boldly the gospel of God. He cast out unclean spirits. He healed the sick, people with fevers, even a man with with leprosy. And he stretched the limits by forgiving the sins of a paralyzed man and then extending that forgiveness ministry to the outcasts. He dined with sinners and tax collectors, giving us a picture of what this kingdom is like. And if we carefully listen to Mark's story, we hear this refrain being repeated again and again around the issue of authority. Chapter 1, verse 22 says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Chapter 1, verse 27 What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And to us this morning, as we approach the Gospel of Mark, we have the advantage of a wider understanding of who Jesus is. We approach this story with Mark chapter 1, verse 1, tucked neatly into our back pockets. And as we travel through this journey with Jesus, we have this insider knowledge. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know who Jesus is. But to the crowds who gathered and to the Pharisees who observed Jesus' ministry, they didn't have the luxury of this insider knowledge to make them, make them make sense of what they're hearing and seeing in the ministry of Jesus. And to the crowds, what did they see? Well, they saw an amazing man, a bewildering man, a wonder worker, perhaps another prophet like Elijah. And to the Pharisees, what they saw in Jesus was concerning, confusing, and even damning. For who is this Jesus to act in this way and to to say such things? And this very issue over authority bubbles over in chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and, and Joses, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. According to the Pharisees and the Galileans, it just didn't make sense for Jesus to operate with such authority. Jesus didn't have the proper worldly credentials. He wasn't trained by a, by a prestigious rabbi. He didn't come from a, a well-respected or renowned family. He didn't practice a prestigious trade. He was just a, a carpenter. And by the time we get to the end of the Gospel of Mark, the end of this story, the religious leaders will blatantly ask Jesus, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And it's true. Jesus didn't have what the the authorities had, what the scribes or the Pharisees had. He didn't have a long resume or many achievements to boast about. They had the authority that comes from man. But Jesus is different. He has the authority that comes from God. 
And Mark chapter 1, verse 22, teaches this, this difference between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees with striking clarity. Mark tells us, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And as we move through the various disputes that Jesus has with the, the Pharisees, whether it's the forgiveness of sins, whether it's his, his practice of keeping table fellowship with sinners and tax collectors, whether it's his practice of, of feasting, at the, at the root issue of it all is this issue of authority. Jesus has authority, and the religious leaders and, and elites do not have it. And as we enter into these two Sabbath stories this morning, Mark draws back the curtains and lets us peer in and see the authority of Jesus. And these Sabbath stories help us grasp hold of what exactly does it mean for Jesus to have authority? And what might it mean for us as Jesus' people to experience his authority? So in chapters 2 and 3, we're working through this series of disputes And some of these disputes are easier for us to to understand, to grab hold of. While other of these disputes are a bit more culturally removed from us, and therefore they're harder to understand. We can grasp why the the Pharisees were so disturbed and, and flummoxed by Jesus forgiving the sins of the paralytic. The nub of the dispute is right on the surface of the text. You don't have to dig very far. The Pharisees are thinking in their minds, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, in the other disputes, it takes some digging, it takes some work to grasp the significance of Jesus' actions. What's the importance of Jesus dining with sinners? What's the importance of Jesus fasting as the, the bridegroom? And I think this will be the case for us in our text this morning. We need to do some, some digging to get the significance of Jesus' actions on the Sabbath. So let's look at verses 23 and 24. Here's the, here's the problem. Mark records, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And the issue comes ahead again in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus seeks out this man for healing. The text reads, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so we see here what Jesus does on the Sabbath causes the Pharisees to question him. What Jesus does on the Sabbath causes the Pharisees to lie in wait for Jesus. And ultimately what Jesus does on the Sabbath leads to chapter 3 verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. And as we watch these events unfold in the Gospel of Mark, it can cause us to, to scratch our heads. Why would the Pharisees be so concerned about what Jesus does on a particular day? Why would they plot someone's death over what he did or didn't do on a particular day, even the Sabbath? And as we think about it this morning, According to our modern, our, our Western ears, it just doesn't make sense. We can do anything we want, any, t- any day of the week, any time of the day. Our grocery stores are open 24 hours a week. You can nearly buy anything any day of the week. 
We just don't get the idea of, of, of sacred time, Sabbath. And this is where we need to break out our shovels and, and start digging into the, the dirt. So we have to ask, what is this Sabbath and why did the Pharisees care so deeply about it? So when we start digging, we find that the Sabbath first appears in the pages of the book of Genesis. God works six days creating the world and all that is in it. And on the seventh day, God stops his work and he rests. Genesis chapter 2 verse 3 records, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And from this point on, in the scriptures, time revolves around the Sabbath. The schedule of Israel was patterned after what God had done during the creation week. God worked six days and then he rested on the Sabbath. And Israel is to work six days and rest on the Sabbath. But there is more here. Sabbath for Israel was not just a time marker, just a day of the week, or just a day off from work. But it was a weighty sign that revealed Israel's special relationship with their God. Exodus 31.13 records, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. What, is this? what does this mean? Well, when a man proposes to a woman, he, he breaks out an engagement ring and that in that ring, ring bears significance. It's a sign pointing towards a covenant, a commitment. And the, the Sabbath points towards the commitment that the Lord is going to sanctify this people of Israel. And to break the Sabbath was not just a sin of the workaholic or of the sin of the really busy person. It was a high-handed sin. It was a first-order sin. To break the Sabbath was to disregard God and to disregard his great salvation and even more, to disregard his sanctifying purposes for Israel. And accordingly, Exodus chapter 31 verse 14 reveals the punishment for this high-handed first-order sin. The Lord says, Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. And the question becomes, what would happen if a whole people broke the Sabbath commandment? What would happen if Israel, as a collective people, profaned the sign of the covenant? Well, the answer is the whole people would be handed over to death, covenantal death. And you go to the prophets and the prophets start talking about covenantal death. Jeremiah talks about this in chapter 17, verse 27, and he pictures this sad scene because of what the people do on the Sabbath. Jeremiah says, But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. So with this in the background, we can go back to the Gospel of Mark and the Pharisees. Their concern over the Sabbath and what could or couldn't be done was not the scruples of just interpretation or an easily pricked conscience. In light of this story, these men are not just religious prudes, but they burned with zeal for the law of God and purity before God. The Pharisees understood the Sabbath was a sign of the covenant. 
And the Pharisees remembered what happened to their forefathers and how they profaned the Sabbath day. The Pharisees are are looking back on the stories of exile and destruction and how God punished the people for their first-handed sin. And the Pharisees look on the story and they're determined not to get burned again. And so concerned about the keeping of the law, the rabbis of Israel wrote this in some of their, their treatises called the Mishnah. Look what the rabbis say. They said, Moses received the law from Sinai and committed it to Joshua and Joshua to the elders and the elders to the prophets and the prophets committed it to the men of the great synagogue. And they said three things. Be delivered in judgment. Make many disciples. And make a, a fence around the law. Why would they do this? Well, just like we build fences in our our yards to keep people off of our grass and away from our stuff and out of our flowers, the, the rabbis built fences around the law so that the people would not accidentally tread on holy ground. They would build buffers so that the law of God would not be transgressed and they wouldn't get burnt again. And so here comes Jesus. He heals a man on the Sabbath. He lets his disciples harvest grain on the Sabbath. And in the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus is not just flirting with the fence, but he's on the grass. He's wrecking the flowers in the garden. He's profaning the Sabbath. And all the worse, he's leading a band of merry men to do the same thing. So we can go back to the law of Moses. What should be done with this Jesus of Nazareth who heals on the Sabbath? Who works on the Sabbath? Well, Moses provides a clear and direct solution. This man must be cut off from the land of the living before he leads all of Israel astray into Sabbath violation. But we know something different about Jesus. He's not just a deceiver of the people, nor is he leading people astray. We have Mark chapter 1, verse 1, tucked in our back pocket. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the man who has been commissioned to preach the nearness of God's kingdom. And so with this insider information, how are we to make sense of what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath? How are we to make sense of the Pharisees' accusations against Jesus? And Jesus provides us two responses this morning. And through these two responses, we gain insight into the very identity and mission of our Savior, who is the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus' first response to the Pharisees comes in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. And Jesus says this to them. Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered in the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And again, Jesus answers his questioners with, A question. Haven't you read the story about David in the Old Testament? The implied logic here is that if the Pharisees had read the story about David and understood the story about David, they would recognize what Jesus is doing in his very ministry. And so Jesus points us back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David, he's the anointed but not yet installed king of Israel. And he is running from Saul. And who is Saul? Well, he is the the king of Israel, the installed king of Israel. 
And in the context of the story, Saul is slipping politically because of his sin against the Lord. And David is on the rise because he is a man after God's own heart. And so as kings and politicians do, even in our own day, Saul seeks to exterminate his political threat in David. He's going to put David to death. So accordingly, David David flees for his life, and he flees in haste. But here's the problem. David flees in haste. He doesn't have any food or weapons to support himself or his friends on the run from Saul. And as David runs, he comes upon the priest at the tabernacle. But the priest doesn't have any food that he can give David, except the bread of the presence, which Jesus says in our own text this morning is not lawful for any to eat. But yet David takes this holy bread and eats and gives it to his friends. And as we read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, the scriptures do not condemn or rebuke David for what he does with the bread of the presence. Rather, they tacitly approve his actions. He takes the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any to eat, and he eats it, and God's okay with it. And the question becomes, What does this story about David and the bread of the presence have anything to do with Jesus and the plucking of grain on the Sabbath? What kind of connection is Jesus making here logically? Is Jesus implying that the law of God, even the holy regulations of the tabernacle and Sabbath, can be broken if there is a need? Is Jesus teaching us some kind of situational ethics? Is Jesus implying that because David crossed the line... In sin, well, he can cross the line in sin. Some kind of ethical formulation of follow the leader. He did it, so I'm going to do it too. Or we can broaden this out. Does Jesus' argument imply that Jesus doesn't care about the Sabbath? Or even more, Jesus doesn't care about the law of God. He can just break it whenever he feels like it. Jesus isn't concerned about the, the externals. He's just concerned about our hearts and where our hearts are at. However, to take any of these options would be serious exegetical and theological malpractice. Jesus deeply cares about the law. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And Jesus is neither cavalier nor callous about the law, but he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. And Jesus faithfully teaches the law throughout his ministry. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gets this directly from the law of God, from Moses. And Jesus cares both about our hearts and what we do with our hands. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Jesus is not making distinctions between head and heart. So what is Jesus doing here? What does his logic mean? Well, it's all about identity and mission. We can just go back to the fundamentals of the story to understand Jesus' logic. Who is David? Well, he is the anointed king of Israel. What is David doing? Well, he's on an urgent mission to preserve his own life and the kingdom of God. And what is the result? Well, the law is set aside for the king on the business of the kingdom. 
So Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. If what David did was found acceptable before God because he was the king on urgent business, how much more acceptable will the actions of Jesus be? For Jesus outstrips David in every way. Jesus is the promised Christ. He is the the son of God. He is the stronger one. He is the bridegroom of Israel. And all the more, Jesus is on urgent business. He's on kingdom business. He is heralding the coming of God's saving reign. And so this matter of dispute between Jesus and the Pharisees about the Sabbath is not merely a legal squabble, but ultimately an argument of identity and authority. It ultimately boils down to who Jesus is. And Jesus clarifies this issue for us so that we cannot misunderstand the point he is making about the law. Look at verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If we follow Jesus' logic throughout this controversy, we are led to a staggering claim, and we can reason this out together. Who created the Sabbath? We can go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. God did. We can ask, well, who then defined and regulated the Sabbath? Well, we can go back to Exodus chapter 31. God did. Who ultimately told Israel what they could or could not do on the Sabbath? Well, the Lord did. Who threatened judgment upon Israel if they profaned the Sabbath? The Lord did. But what does Jesus do here? Well, he picks up the Sabbath, he defines it, he applies it, he clarifies it, he does what only God can do. He takes the prerogatives and authority of God into his very own hands, and we are left with this staggering claim, so that the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Mark's point is staggering. Before us this morning is no mere Jewish peasant. He is no mere rabbi teaching his own unique interpretation of the law. He is no deceiver of the people. But Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses, Judas and Simon, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And if we have eyes to see this morning and ears to hear, we are led to confess with all the saints of God that this Jesus is the only Son of God. Begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. And Mark is taking us to soaring Christological heights of who Jesus actually is. He is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And therefore, Jesus does not break the Sabbath because he is the maker and ruler of the Sabbath. Jesus reveals that he is not a lawbreaker, but he is the very rule maker. He is one with the God who instituted the Sabbath in Exodus chapter 31. He is one with the God who created the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And he's bringing it to its fulfillment in his own ministry. So we see Jesus' identity, and now we need to move to his, his mission. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And Mark begins to reveal what Jesus' identity as the Son of Man will accomplish in a sinful and broken world. So even in the midst of this dispute with the Pharisees, with these men questioning him and setting traps for him to fall into, Jesus' words are filled with grace. 
and his actions produce salvation for fallen people. Jesus reveals the grand intention of the Sabbath in chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus rescues the precious Sabbath from the fences of the Pharisees. The Sabbath was a gift from God to man, but the Pharisees had made it a heavy burden that no one could bear. They're tall and imposing fences while preserving the integrity of the commandment effectively kept everyone out from enjoying the commandment as a gift from God. So Jesus comes along here in the Gospel of Mark and he demolishes the fences of the Pharisees and invites his disciples and other fallen sinners to come in and enjoy the gift and the treasure of the Sabbath. Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, does not operate like the Pharisees. He doesn't build fences. He doesn't keep people away. He doesn't act like a preservationist. Rather, he welcomes. He lets people in and walk on the grass and inspect the flowers to see what's going on. For this is why the Sabbath exists. It was made for man. But we can't stop here because there's more here for us. We have to ask, what does it mean to enjoy the Sabbath of God? What does it mean to partake in the Sabbath of God? Jesus' words and actions make it plain in chapter 3. Jesus calls the man with the withered hand to him and places him before the Pharisees and all who were in the synagogue that day to make a point. This is what the Sabbath is all about. Note what Jesus says and does in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 3. Jesus says, or Mark records, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And from this healing story in Mark chapter 3, it becomes clear that the Sabbath is not simply just another day of the week. It is not simply just a day off from work. It's not just a religious observant weighed down with rules upon rules upon rules. No, Jesus clarifies the Sabbath is a day for salvation. And the Lord Jesus understood that the most fitting action that he could do on the Sabbath was to heal a man with a withered hand, to make a man whole. We can even take our eyes off of this particular story in the Gospel of Mark and look broadly at the Gospels. Jesus heals again and again and again on the Sabbath. He heals Simon's mother-in-law when she has a fever. In the Gospel of John, he heals the man born blind, a lame man, a man with dropsy, a crippled woman. And Jesus doesn't do these healings on the Sabbath by mistake, nor does he do these healings just to stir up controversy with the Pharisees or the religious leaders. But he does it to make a point so that we would get a little picture of what it means for the kingdom of God to be near. It means that broken, sinful, and sick people once again enjoy peace, fellowship, and wholeness with the holy God of the scriptures. So we can just ask again, well, what does it mean to enjoy the Sabbath of God? What does it mean to partake in the Sabbath of God? Well, from Mark chapter 3, we can say this. It means to experience the saving ministry of the Son of Man who is Lord even of the Sabbath. The man with the withered hand 
understood how to observe the Sabbath. He experienced salvation. So we've seen through these two Sabbath stories, Mark reveals to us the, the identity of Jesus. He is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And Mark reveals the intention of the Sabbath. It reveals the mission of the kingdom of God, that, that sinful creatures would be made whole again and have peace and fellowship with a holy God. So let's take a bit of time this morning and, and work on some application. Press this text into our, our souls. And as we move through this series of disputes in chapters 2 and 3, each one of these stories presents a labyrinth of applications. We could spend a whole sermon on the Sabbath and what it means to, to take part in the Sabbath, or even if Christians should observe the Sabbath. Or last week, we could have a whole sermon on fasting, how to fast, the particulars of fasting. And there's a time and a place for these things, but if we did that this morning, we would miss the whole point of Mark's, Mark's message. And we can go back. Why did Mark write this book? Well, he wrote this book so that we would know a person. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And so our text this morning comes to us and makes a clear claim. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's the point of the passage. And so from this claim, I want to offer you two things. I want to offer you an encouragement and a warning. First, encouragement. Who Jesus says he is defines and fills out the very salvation that we receive from his hands. The Jesus who found out the man with the withered hand and administrated healing to him on the Sabbath. The Jesus who came and pronounced to the Pharisees, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, yet lives and reigns today seated at the right hand of God, full of mercy and grace. So we are a busy people. We're often a weary people, a people who get anxious and stressed out. We're a people who sin. We're a people who grow despondent and disillusioned. And often all of these things come together at one time into a cocktail. And so what can we do in the midst of busyness, weariness, anxiety, stress, sinfulness? Well, I encourage you this morning, grab hold of the supremacy of Christ's authority. This is the only anchor that will hold us firm in the midst of all of these things. For Jesus is Lord. Even more, he is Lord of the Sabbath. Or we could say he is the Lord of rest. He is the master of rest. And as the master of rest, he desires to administer rest to his people. He desires that we would experience Sabbath with God. And Jesus has broken down the fences so that we might enter in the Sabbath and enjoy it freely and fully, that we might have peace and fullness with God. And Jesus this morning calls us to Sabbath. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And believers, Jesus calls us to rest this morning. He doesn't call us to vacation. He doesn't call us to the, the couch. He calls us to true rest. He calls us to Sabbath. And what is the Sabbath ultimately? 
himself. Jesus is very clear about the call of the gospel this morning. He says, come to me. I am the one who dispenses rest. Why? Because I am Lord, even of the Sabbath. And second, a warning. While Jesus was revealing the intention of the Sabbath and then administrating the salvation of the Sabbath, the Pharisees were watching. They were standing there. They were observing. They were watching. They were observing, not with glad hearts, not with eager hearts, but with what? With hard hearts. And because their hearts were callous towards Jesus, they refused and rejected the salvation of God. Because their hearts were stony, they would not enjoy the Sabbath rest that Jesus promises. And because their hearts were so hard, they went out and plotted and planned the death of the Lord Jesus. And so this morning, I urge you to watch out for a hard heart. Now you might respond, Oh, Pastor What warning is there for us here, really? How could we be like the Pharisees? They're plotting and planning the death of Jesus. How could we be like that? Well, the answer is that hard-heartedness does not always reveal itself in malice and murder. But often hard-heartedness shows up in a rather domesticated way. Our hearts don't cry out, crucify him, but they rather cry out, I'm bored with him. Our hearts don't plot his death, but we just wallow in disinterest and, and sloth. We can test ourselves this morning. Are we hard-hearted towards the Lord Jesus and his ministry of Sabbath? After a hard day, the kids are just busy and troublesome. After a hard day at work, everything's going wrong. Boss is, is riding you hard. The, the customers are difficult. You come home. Where are you running? Where are you going to? Where are you looking for rest? Is it to that strange God called Netflix where you can just sit down and and turn it on and it just goes forever and ever, continuously playing, washing away, distracting us from our troubles and our fears? Is it to the God of the freezer? We make our way and we get ice cream and we, we rest in a sugar. Is it to the God of the bottle? Do we look to something to numb our pain? Is it to the God of social media, to the endless stream, to the endless distractions? Where are we making application to when we are in in trouble, when we are down? And the truth is, whether your hard-heartedness reveals itself in murder like the Pharisees who plotted and planned the death of the Lord Jesus, or or it comes out in boredom, the problem is the same thing, and it is just as dire if you are the Pharisees or you're domesticated like the rest of us. And the problem is this. You stand far away from the Savior. You stand far away from his rest. You stand far away from his saving benefits. You stand far off from life itself. But Jesus comes to us this morning in the midst of our idolatry, worshiping the God of Netflix or the freezer or what other God you might have. And he shouts in our ears, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And the scriptures call out to us with urgency today. The scriptures say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus in mercy and grace draws near to us with the gospel and he presses it on our souls and he says, won't you again repent and believe in the good news? 
I am Lord of the Sabbath. Find rest in me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do exalt this morning in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man, and he is Lord even of the Sabbath, and we take great comfort in this. And we confess to you our idolatry this morning. We are a people who are weary and heavy laden, and we so desire rest, but we look in so many wrong places. Oh, Father, we ask that you would burn these words upon our souls, that we would make application to the Savior, to the one who actually can give us rest and peace and wholeness. So, God, we ask, work in our hearts this morning. Change us. Amen.